Let's start with this, though. Bust the myths. There are many beliefs that we have that orient how we behave and how we get along with people and how we build our lives. There are three, though, that undermine the whole challenge of building the kind of life you want, a life where you play to the best of you and you do it deliberately. Here they are. Here's the first one. This is a myth. Ready? All right. As you grow, your personality changes. 68% of you either agree or strongly agree that as you grow, your personality changes. Anyone care to comment on that? Tammy? You agreed? I did. Why do you agree with that? What do you think does change about you as you grow? I think, I think your, experience, your ex life experiences force you at times to, to make changes, your to make personality changes that perhaps um, if you hadn't had that experience, perhaps that change would not have happened. What's changed in you, do you think? And I'm not saying that you don't no, change. Um, I'm trying to sort of set you up or anything. Let's what, see. Um, if I knew you in the schoolyard versus knowing you now, what's changed? Um, I think one thing for me is I went through a very tough divorce and was a single mom for five years. And that caused me or helped me to become a stronger person. I'm, I'm a much stronger woman I know now than what I think I would have been um, had the situation been different. OK, so your experience changes, and that helps you gain strength and resiliency. Yes. Right? Lisa. Well, um, I think over the years, I've become much more outspoken. Um, I, I was extremely shy, and to a degree, I still am pretty shy. But um, as I've grown and um, life experience, I've become much more outspoken. But um, I definitely think some of my traits have intensified over the years. Uh, maybe not changed, but intensified. Or That's an interesting use of the word. You kind of there is some intensity that grows over time, isn't it? It's funny. I mean, I, I think there's no question as we grow, we, we, we mature, we gain perspective, we learn more skills, we gain more experiences. Here's the truth, that as you grow, you become more and more and more of who you already are. That's Lisa's word for intensify. You become more and more and more of who you already are. If I gave you a personality test, any test, once a decade until you died, the most overwhelming discovery I would make is just how consistent your results were from the time you were five to the time you were 85. There would be some changes around the edges. I have two kids. I have a, a little guy, Jackson, and a four-year-old girl. So Jack's six now. Lilia is four. And already, I mean, from the get-go, I knew some stuff about both of them. They come out different, and then they stay different, don't they? So Jack, I know, is an incredibly, and, and from the moment, I mean, he could start paddling around, this was clear. This is a kid that loves structure. First word he ever learned to say was rule. Love that. <laughs> loves rules. Also deeply competitive. Not in a way that all six-year-olds you know, prefer winning to losing, but in a way when he's physically seized by his competitiveness, doesn't quite know what to do with himself. He's watching his favorite football team on television. They start to lose. He, he can't stay in the room. He's got to jump out and run out of the room and bury his head in the cushions next door. Not the next door house, next door. <laughs> room, but still, it's weird. I'm, I'm playing ping pong with Jack. First game of ping pong this little six-year-old has ever played. I'm, I'm, I don't know, one minute in. And he asks, well, just imagine what he's are. He's a deep competitor, deep, visceral competitor. What's, what's the first question he asks? What? Who's win well, he asks it. Yes, he gets to that. But he asks, 
What's the score? The point of Jack's life is not to replace his competitiveness with some more collegial, a, a, adult trait, like team-spiritedness. That's not the point of his life. The point of Jack's life isn't to conjure new forces from within him. It's to free up and focus the forces that are already there. The challenge for Jack is to find a way to channel his competitiveness. The challenge for Jack is to find a way to put himself in situations where he can win. Yes, Tammy. So is your theory or your belief that the strength that I have grown or that I have now was actually there oh, that's many, a... many years ago, and it just wasn't brought to the surface? Yeah, it's, Is that? Yeah, it's what Lisa said. I go into the school. I rewind 40-something years. I get to five-year-old Tammy in the schoolyard. I'm starting to see the patterns of thought, feeling, behavior, drive, intensity that, that we now see today. And when you have an experience, a divorce, a death in the family, a challenging experience. It doesn't turn you into someone else. It intensifies it's already there. what's already there. Yes. May I say that Glinda the Good Witch said it best? Glinda the Good Witch in The Wizard of Oz, when she said to Dorothy, you've always had it, my dear. You've always had the power. You see that? Absolutely. It's always, it's always been there. Now, so this is a tremendous, I, I know I can put this up. We can look at it and then wander on. But 68% but of you think it isn't there. You have to conjure new forces from within you. You don't. They're there. And to your point, Lisa, they intensify. Over the course of your life, you don't become somebody else. You become more and more and more of who you already are. Now, the challenge is to make it a productive version of who you mm -hmm. are. Because strengths, by the way, are value neutral. Jack's competitiveness could start to get manifested in all kinds of bad ways. And in school, Rachel, when that happens, people's strengths can come out in all kinds of negative behaviors. He could turn out to be a pissy and petulant child and a pissy and petulant adult. The challenge for me as a parent, and hopefully for him as a grown-up, is to channel it productively. Some of you who are assertive turn out to be jerks. Some of you who are assertive turn out to be good salespeople, like you, Erin, where you go, I want you to buy from me. I want you to buy, and you like that kind of friction, okay? So it doesn't always play out that your power gets used well, but it's there. I don't, I, I can think back to when I was a child and, and things that I like to do, they're still there. I agree with this now that you've pointed it out, but I just don't think that schools or businesses channel that. I just don't think that they look and they're like, okay, these are your strengths. This doesn't mean you can't grow. In fact, we, we bump here into the second myth. Where will you grow and learn the most? Okay, here's the myth. The myth is you'll grow and learn the most in your areas where you're weakest. Here's a question that we've asked repeatedly parents in America. How many of you are parents? Can I just have a quick show of hands? OK, you're part of the problem. Um, <laughs> this is the question. And you'll know where I'm going with this, because Vanessa just teed it up. But here we go. Your child comes home with the following grades. You'll resonate with this. English, A. Social studies, A. Biology, C. Algebra, F. OK, here's the question. Which grade deserves the most attention from you? A, A, B, C, F. Which grade deserves the most attention F, from you? All day. Every time you ask it, decades after decades, every time you ask it, 77% of American parents say the F. But you have to, you have to, to take care of the F. You can't let the F go. It wasn't the question, Britt. The question didn't say, if you pick one grade, you must ignore all others. It just said, hey, as a parent, you only have one thing to invest in your kid, your time. As a husband or a wife, you've got one thing to invest in your relationship, your time. As a manager, for those of you that met, you've only got one thing to invest in your employees, your time. Where will you spend most of it? 
This is a rational decision. This is a rational question which says, where would you get the best return on the investment of your love, coaching, development, all that? Where would you get the best return? Most people think you'll get the best return from the F. That's what most, because remember, the question was, where should you spend most time? But my comment to, because I have this problem at home, I won't <laughs> tell which child. Really? But um, my comment to, to them is that English is not your strength. And that's okay that it's not your strength. But you still have to work on your grade. Your strengths are over here. You know, I mean, I recognize where his, where his strengths are. And I try to tell him that that's still okay, but you still have to do better than that. Okay, then you need to, great, and I'm right there too, right? I go to my first parent-teacher conference for my six-year-old, Jack. And I'm looking at all the pictures around all the walls. And there's some beautiful pictures of fully formed people doing stuff. And there's colors. And I look at, I'm looking for my sons. And I see it. And it's stick figures <laughs> without even the body. Like, it's just a head in the, and I'm looking at my wife's there. And we're going, let's change the name to Isabel. <laughs> all the other parents are looking. And it's clear that Jack's probably the worst drawer in the class. And we're thinking, we say to each other, I mean, I catch myself saying this not two weeks ago, going, well, babe, maybe we should, maybe we should get him just drawing lessons on a, on a Friday. <laughs> and, and as we're walking around, we get to a math area. So every child has drawn a little scenario, written it, and then done the math part of it. We're looking at it, and Lorne, the teacher, comes over and goes, you see, Jack's got the biggest numbers. He had 13 cookies, and he ate eight, and he did 13 minus eight. And it took our teacher to come, I mean, me. You're like, this, my whole thing is all about finding, and I found myself going, oh, we better fix this drawing, when in fact, it's. <laughs> The, the kid's got some natural stuff with numbers. We should be on about that first. Now, this isn't about just being nice to people. It's not about just saying to your kid, let's talk about the A's to make you feel, feel better. It's actually much more meaty than that. Because this is the, and I want you to really think about this truth. You grow most in the A's. You don't talk about the A's because it makes your kid have more self-esteem, although it may. You do it because the kid will be more creative, more challenged, more persistent, more successful when you drill down on the A. It's counterintuitive, but for everyone in this room, everyone in this room has areas where you can grow, where you can get better. But for every one of you, your greatest areas of opportunity for growth come out of your strengths, not your weaknesses. Yes, Ellie. I'm wondering, though, if you don't focus or spend time on trying to improve the weaknesses, that you can even develop this. I mean, because. OK. So what do you do with the F? Here's, the, here's a big discovery for it. You never fix the F on its own terms. If your child is getting an F in math, he's getting an F for two reasons. One, he's bad at math. Two, he's good at math and badly taught. Either way, either way, the solution to the F lies in the A's. For those of you with kids, go back, sit down, and go, why'd you get the A's? What intrigued you about those subjects so much? Why'd you learn them so fast? Why do you always want to sit down and do your homework on those A's? Who's teaching you? Why do you like the way they teach? Do you like the way they teach? Why do you like? Every single piece of discovery you make when you talk about the A's will help you with the F's. For those of you with weaknesses, and you've got them, some of you wrote them really clearly. Remember, you don't fix your weaknesses. You find a way to make them irrelevant. You never fix your own weaknesses on their own terms. Lisa, if you are shy, as you said, I'm not going to make you not shy. I'm going to make you maybe slightly less shy than you were before. 
when I'm not very good at confrontation at all. Now, I can work on it and work on it and work on it. And my manager can say, Marcus, your area for development this year, your individual development plan, Chris, is going to be getting better at confrontation. And I'll work on it. I'll get better. We're adaptable creatures, human beings. We can get better at virtually anything. I'll go from terrible to really bad. You get, when you focus on the F, you get incremental improvement. Or you find the right way of teaching you, because you learn through the A. And you can, you can turn the F into an A. If the kid is good at math and badly taught, you find out about that through the A. You change the way you teach the kid, boom. I think, I think Shari had it first, and I'll come back to you, Joanna. I think a big part of it, too, is like with me, I love my job, but I have a difficult job. I'm the person who's bothering people about money, and I'm the one who's going to write you up. But I think that's part of it, too, because I really love what I do, you know? But it's difficult, and so that's the draining part, because I'm always the one that gets yelled at. And, you know, that's the draining part. How do you, how do you find passion in that? Well, Again, I can't answer that glibly from here. <laughs> you have to answer that. That's true. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff. Nobody has the perfect job. Joanna. For me, I feel like I'm really good at my job, and I give 150% every day. And it feels good to work for a mission-driven organization that makes a difference. Right. Um, my concern has always been, since I know I'm good at this job and I've built a high level of respect for what I do, I'm scared to make that change, because how do I know I'm going to be good at the next one? Okay, and the answer to that question, just in, in general, both, both for all of you, but specifically for you, is remember, your strengths are transferable. You take them with you. They're here. <laughs> but that's so important for you all to realize. Nobody, I mean, nobody owns your strengths but you. That's why you are the greatest asset of a company, by the way, because all your value lies between your ears. It's in your judgment your inquisitiveness, your creativity, your wisdom, your drive, your relationships. That's what you bring. Now, you bring it differently than Lisa does. I mean, you're not the same as Tammy, but you're bringing that with you. Where should you get the confidence to know that you can make the leap to a new role if you want to? You get it from, from here, from a deep, clear understanding of what invigorates you and what drains you. Would you make the point again about how your strengths are value neutral? Yeah, you, I mean, People often say that as a leader, you shouldn't have an ego, just as, as, as an example. Some people have a deep feeling that they have a right to be at the helm, leading their country forward or their team forward. And so, and we look at them sometimes and we go, an ego, ooh, now that's a bad strength to have. That feeling of that craving for significance is a bad strength. But, but Gandhi had it. Gandhi took 900 million souls on his back and went, I'm going to turn India around. He had a huge ego. I know we don't normally think of ego and Gandhi in the same breath, but it takes a big claim to go, I'm going to go and get the attention of the world. And then, of course, you could have, pick one. Hitler had a huge ego. The thousand-year Reich. OK, you could be Gandhi with an ego or Hitler with an ego. E ego is value neutral. Responsibility. Some of you have a craving for responsibility. You can't stop putting up your hand and volunteering. And for some of you, it's worked out OK, where you, where you are actually channeling that responsibility so that you, when somebody asks you to do something, you follow through perfectly. You hate unfinished work. You hate ever having your name attached to something that isn't quality. And you, and you find a way to channel that. Others of you are overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed, and you just, 
you've just said yes to everything. Some of you even use those words. You say yes to everything. So your strengths don't imply success, and they don't necessarily imply satisfaction. They're value neutral. You can use them for good, and you can use them for ill. But they do come with you. They're here. And you're right, Ellie. We don't, or Vanessa, I'm sorry, we don't teach this. We don't talk about this. I mean, most parents, you know, it's funny if your kid gets an A and an F, and it's parent-teacher conference time, you sign up for the teacher with the F, don't you? I better go talk with the teacher with the F. It's, I mean, right from the get-go, it starts. You do a performance appraisal. How many of you ever had a performance appraisal conversation with your manager? Any of you ever? All right. Isn't it two minutes on what you did well last year and 58 minutes on your areas for development, which is just a nice way of saying stuff you don't do well yet, right? So all the conversations are around that. Now, one quick point on this last point, we'll move on. If I have a strengths-based conversation with Oprah, if I'm Oprah's manager, and I, and I have a conversation focused on her strengths, it's not a soft, warm and gooey, touchy-talky-feely conversation where I go, jolly well done. It's one where I, as a manager, I first of all know her well enough. I've paid attention to her well enough to know, as an example, that she's focused. I go, Oprah, you're focused. Everyone else is losing their minds. You stay on track. And first of all, I'm right about that. So that's a good manager, isn't it? Someone who is accurate. When I say that to Oprah, she doesn't go, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking? She goes, yeah, you know, I am focused. But then I don't just go, you carry on with your focusy self. <laughs> I, go, I go, step it up. I go, all right, what situations can I put you in where your focus will be useful? What clients could you work with? What team members could you partner with? If this is the best you've got, Oprah, then bring it. For any of you that have ever had, and I'm not saying you have one now, but for any of you that have ever had a great relationship with your boss, it doesn't feel all warm and gooey, does it? It's a boss who goes, I get you, and I want you to bring the best of you. And I'm going to be demanding and expectant and challenging. I'm still struggling with this one. All right. <laughs> I know you're trying to move on, but I... I... Let's move on. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm struggling with it because I think where I've made improvements within the last year in my job has been focusing on the few things that my boss has pointed out as my weaknesses. You can improve in any area of your job. You're driven, you're smart, you're well-intentioned. You can improve in any area. The question that this truth tries to answer is where will you see the most growth, the most improvement? Where will you see exponential growth in terms of your performance, your satisfaction, your creativity. And when you look carefully at where people grow most, they grow most in those areas where they've already shown that they have some natural, call it strength, call it passion, call it predisposition, call it talent, call it whatever your word is. If I'm a great manager of you, Ellie, I'm not saying you're perfect across the board. I'm going, oh, look, she's got some unique advantage here. She's shown me something here. How can I put her in a role where it calls upon that more? Now, that may turn out to sound to you like I'm saying, get better. You can get better. And it does. Sometimes it sounds like that. But it's get better in the areas where you've already shown some natural predisposition. If you're, if you're terrible at it, I can go, OK, you need to fix that. You come into work late. You are right now at a minus six. If you work really hard, I bet you could get to zero. Okay, and you probably will if only to keep your job sometimes, right? But you can't win by staying at zero. We have to get you into positive numbers, as it were. We're going to get you into positive numbers. You need to start 
with those areas in your life that strengthen you, that play to your strength. Isn't it like, I don't, you might have said this when I took pee break, but did you, you, I remember in one of your books you were talking about how confrontation, you suck, and that you went from sucking to not being so bad. Yeah. 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 Now, and yes, that you're I never going to be great at. You're never going to be great at something you really hate. Yeah. And I can get a little better at it. Yeah. I'm just, if I'm going to bet my career on something, I ain't betting it on that. Yeah. yeah. I want to find, that might be a derailer. Okay, but I, if I'm going to help you win, I've got to find... I've got to find in you that special thing, mm -hmm. those few special things. And I've got to help you own them, name them, and apply them. And that's part of what we're going to try and do today. But to your point, one last myth. How are we doing on time? OK, one last myth. Your myth. I can't do that. I'd love to do that, but I can't. This is a moral myth, guys. People go, I can't play to my strengths because the team needs more from me than that. I've got to put aside my strength. 91% of us strongly agree or agree with that. In this yeah. It's like good grief. Now, what's so pervasive or dangerous about this, Tammy, is it, it feels right to put yourself aside, because there's no I in team. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And occasionally you do. Of course, Lisa, to your point, you've got to do whatever it takes, right? Sometimes you do, I have no question. And when you first take on a job, you can't be waltzing in going, that doesn't strengthen me. You won't last. But as a general way of approaching the world, remember, the team doesn't, the team doesn't really want that from you doesn't want you to put aside your strengths and do whatever it takes. The team wants this from you. It doesn't say this to you, the team, but it's what it wants. It wants you to volunteer your strengths to the team most of the time. Stacy, what we need from you most of all, and by we, I mean your kids and your, and your husband as well as your colleagues, we need to know where your shoulders are broadest. We need to know where we can rely on you the most. We need to know what plays you can run a lot of and that really juice you. Why do we need to know that? Because we need you to keep doing it again and again and again and again and again. And if there's something that you can do but doesn't invigorate at all, you'll burn out. Some of you right now are this close to burning out. Some of you wrote in your things that you wrote, I dread getting up and going to work every day. Or Aaron, you're saying, I'm 30 and I'm stressed out like crazy. All right, what that leads to, and this is no big surprise, it leads to you being able to not do it anymore. And, and for the team, that's a loss, guys. You don't build on your strengths to make you happier. We don't build companies or teams to build on your strengths to make you happier. We do it because we want you to keep using them again and again and again and again and again. And for those of you that are sticking out, Janine, that are sticking it out because you think it's the right thing to do, it's not. Not for the long term. For the short term, occasionally, will you have to step out your strength zone and chip in? Of course you will. Patricia. Doesn't that go back to letting others define what your strengths are? Uh, yes. Because for me, you know, I've had that throughout my entire career. You are so good at this. You should be doing this. We're going to put you on this project because you're so good at this. I've been with the same company 26 years, and that's something very few many people, you know, very few people can say that. But it's been a great experience for me because I've had all these opportunities because others have identified my strengths. And just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're going to enjoy it. doesn't mean you're going to get passion from it. And that's been my experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. People, teams are, here's a big news for you. 
The world is ambivalent about you and your strengths. The world doesn't really care about you and your strengths. The world wants you to get a job done. Your family wants you to get a job done. If it plays to your strengths, great. If it doesn't, well, your strengths are kind of annoying. Your passions are kind of annoying if they lead you in a different direction. So faced with this blind world that just goes, get it done, would you, Patricia? Could you just get it done? And you're honest and honorable, so you go, all right, I'll get it done, right? Faced with that world, you, as you said, you've got to be so clear-eyed and go, you know what? Yes, I can get it done, but I need to be moving in this direction. Even as you're sort of blindly tugging me over here, I need to stay here. Experiment. Should you experiment? Absolutely. And Nicole, as you take on the next challenge, keep your eyes open for new experiences. Absolutely. But you should open your eyes for experiences, not because you can become, you know, sort of well-rounded superwoman, but because you open your eyes to experiences so you can learn more and more about those things that are your power, those things that strengthen you. The world will teach you more and more and more about who you already are if you listen closely. But if you're just charging around doing whatever anyone wants and letting them totally define you, you won't learn anything. And you'll get to the point where we are, where nobody is playing to their strengths most of the time. One, one quick point on this, and we'll move on. Uh, perhaps the best example of a guy who's lived his life according to this approach, someone you, I think you probably know quite well, Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. who we use as an example for so many things, but he did something remarkable last year. So remarkable, he held a press conference to explain it. He gave away $31 billion. And, and when he was asked why, he gave it to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Do you remember this? He gave away $31 billion. Someone in the press conference goes, why did you do that? He gave two answers. One of them entirely predictable. The other one just odd. The entirely predictable one was, he said, I gave it to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation because they can give it away better than I can. Typical, pragmatic, unsentimental kind of answer. They're better than me, I'll give it to them. That's how he's run his companies. They're better, I stay out of the way. And if he'd have left it at that, we'd have gone, oh, well, another example of Buffett wisdom and moved on. He didn't leave it at that. He couldn't help himself. He was like Jack jumping up from the sofa and burying his head in the cushions next door. He went on and he said, Besides, philanthropy is no fun for me. And in saying that, he wasn't demeaning the goals of philanthropy, of charity. He was saying something much more sophisticated. He was saying, I so respect the goals of philanthropy. They can't be entrusted to a guy like me. You, when you go back from this morning, back to your working lives, you'll have the pressure to say that you love something that you don't. Now, it won't be quite the same way with Buffett, but he had this pressure to go, I love philanthropy. He had the honesty, the clarity to go, you know what? That doesn't invigorate me at all. It's no fun for me. I'm going to give it to some people who are really invigorated by it, who are energized by it. Again, extreme example, but there's extreme pressures on a public figure like that. And he had the wherewithal, the courage to go, no. And I'm saying no because it's so darn important. Now, some of you may go, I don't have the freedom to do that. I don't have the freedom to hand off this and that. You know what? All of you have far more room to maneuver within your lives than you think. For many of you, the problem has been you haven't known how much room you have, and you haven't set any darn boundaries. So your life has become filled and filled and filled with philanthropy, or your version of it, things that aren't fun for you at all. 